11 to verse 18. Hebrews 10, 11 to 18. Here is what the author of Hebrews says. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But then this priest, Jesus, had offered uh, for all time one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he had made perfect forever those who are being, being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them in their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where, where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Amen? Amen. Today actually marks a, a milestone in our study in the book of Hebrews because we have arrived to Hebrews 10, 18. And if you guys... Remember, we have been talking about Hebrews 10, 18 as a breaking point in the book. Anybody knows why? Right, because he switches from after that all the time from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 10, verse 18. The author of Hebrews is discussing theology. He's trying to argue the supremacy of Christ over the Old Testament uh, prophets and angels, over Moses and Aaron from the Old Testament, to show his reader that Christianity and Christ is far more superior than Judaism. Therefore, they should not ever consider, back, consider abandoning Christianity or Christ and go back to Judaism. And verse 18 marked the end of his argument of the supremacy of Christ over the Old Testament elements. Now, next week, till the end of the book, he pretty much going to try to encourage them, give them the practical uh, tips how they can live their lives as Christian in the midst of the persecution and how they can hold fast into the confession of faith. Amen? So today is a good uh, milestone in the book of Hebrews. We're closing the theology part, and next week we're going to start with the practical part. But you're going to see that there is also a lot of theology in the practical part. So um, we have arrived to chapter 10, verse 1 to verse 18, where the author of Hebrews here is arguing that the sacrifice of Christ is better than all the sacrifices that was offered in the Old Testament. We have seen in verse 1 to verse 10 that the sacrifice of Christ is better because the sacrifice of Christ has accomplished, has provided true sanctification. Amen? That's what we seen last week. Today, <coughs> we see that the sacrifice of Christ is better because the sacrifice of Christ, unlike the sacrifices of the Old Testament, has provided decisive cleansing from sin that none of the sacrifices of the Old Testament were able to accomplish. Amen? All right. So let me give you some uh, background here so you can uh, know what we're talking about. In the Old Testament, the only way to approach God was through a sacrifice. If you commit a sin, then you bring a lamb and you bring that to the tabernacle of meeting and the priest will slaughter that lamb. You put your hand on the lamb and you confess your sins 
And it's as if it's a type, it's a picture that your sins has been transferred from you who committed the sin to the innocent sacrifice. And then the innocent sacrifice dies in your place. And the Old Testament tells us that it was multiple sacrifice. Every day the priest will offer a sacrifice after a sacrifice in order to obtain true forgiveness for the ones who have committed sins. But these sacrifices always fell short. I was never able to provide true forgiveness. Amen? But Jesus, when he came as the ultimate sacrifice, he was able through his blood to provide ultimate forgiveness when he died on our behalf as our substitute on the cross. Amen? So now let's look a little bit deeper into verse 11 to verse 18. Verse 11, 12, 13, and 14, first four verses, the author of Hebrews is arguing, he's telling us that Jesus has provided a decisive cleansing, and because of that, Jesus was able to sit at the right hand of majesty on high. Amen? And then in the last four verses, he's telling us that because Jesus has provided a decisive cleansing, now the new covenant, the new relationship with God uh, is inaugurated. Because of his perfect sacrifice, we can enter into a new covenant with God. Amen? All right, everybody still be in page one. Let's do some pop quiz together. The first four verses, verse 11, 12, 13, and 14. The author of Hebrews is comparing the Old Testament system and sacrifices versus the sacrifice and the New Testament way of approaching God. And he's giving us three major differences, three comparisons. Without looking into the notes, let's try to figure them out together. Amen? So here is, uh, let's read 11 to 14 and then try to tell me what differences the author of Hebrews is pointing out. Verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offered the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when this priest has offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he had made perfect forever those who are being made holy. All right. Give me some feedback. What do you have? What's the differences here? Right, but let's look at the text. He's giving us three comparisons. Verse 11 talks about the Old Testament. And verse 12, 13, and 14 talks about Jesus. Now, there's three comparisons here that the author of Hebrews uh, is giving us. Let me help you out. Let's start with the first word, day after day. So that's something that is happening all the time, right? Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. And then he says what? Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices. So the word offers is present time because it talks about the continual offering of the sacrifices, right? And the word sacrifices is plural because he's talking about multiple sacrifices that was offered by the priest of the Old Testament. And then he used the word day after day, again and again. So what's the point here? A lot of sacrifices was offered under the Old Testament that was never able to take away sin. But how about Jesus? Let's look at what he say, verse 12. But when this priest has offered, how often? Yes, once and for all, 
he offered for all time how many sacrifices? One sacrifice was sent for sin. He sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool for by how many? One sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So that's the difference. Number one, the Old Testament has multiple repetition of sacrifices, but the New Testament has how many sacrifices? One. And why is it uh, one sacrifice? Because there is no need to have any more sacrifices. That one sacrifice that Jesus offered is sufficient to provide true forgiveness for sin. Amen? Now let's look at the word offered here in verse 14. For by one sacrifice he has made... Um, I apologize. Let's go to verse 12. But when this priest has offered for all times one sacrifice. Remember last week when we talked about by this well, we are being sanctified by the offering of the body of Christ once and for all, right? And now the author of Hebrews is going back to that verse and bringing back to our attention that Jesus has offered his one sacrifice. What is that sacrifice that Jesus offered? It is his body that he has offered on the cross for the sake of our sins. Amen? So we see in the Old Testament multiplication. In the New Testament, we see singularity. One sacrifice is all what it took for God to forgive our sins. Amen? Let's go to number two. And every and day after day, every priest does what? Stands. But how about Jesus? Let's skip to verse 12. But this priest, he had offered uh, for all time, one sacrifice for sins, he did what? Sat down. After he offered this one sacrifice, he did what? Sat down. The priests of the Old Testament will stand continuously. Again, present tense, stands. Because it talks about the continual standing before God to offer the sacrifices. But how about Jesus? Did Jesus need to, stay, to stand more and more and more after he died on the cross for our sins? Nope. He sits down at the right hand of majesty on high. Now, we can skip back to the notes if you would like to, but the word stands that the author of Hebrews is referring to here is actually a quote from Deuteronomy 18.5. This is what the Deuteronomy 18.5 says, talking about the Levites. For the Lord your God has chosen them and their descendants out of all your tribes to do what? To stand and the minister in the Lord's name always. The high priest in the Old Testament and the priests as well would always stand before God to offer the sacrifices. The author of Hebrews seized on that word from Deuteronomy 18.5, stand and minister. And he said, oh, remember this, that the priest of the Old Testament has to stand before God every single day. But Jesus did not have to do that. He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Amen? Mm -hmm. If you look at the furniture of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, that's the place where the sacrifices were offered. You find tables, you find curtains, you find pillars, you find all sorts of furniture. But the one furniture that is missing in the tabernacle is a chair. No chairs in the, old, in the tabernacle. Why are you preaching next time? Uh, <laughs> no chairs in the tabernacle of the Old Testament. Why? Because the priest cannot sit. Because he's offering incomplete, insufficient sacrifice. That's why he has to continually stand before God to uh, offer continual sacrifices. Amen? Now, the author of Hebrews tells us about Jesus this. 
But this priest, after he has offered for all sin one sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since mm -hmm. that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Now, that's a quote from Psalm 110, verse 1. Psalm 110, verse 1. It says this, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So the author of Hebrews captured that from Psalm 110, verse 1, and said, Jesus is the high priest who sat at the right hand of majesty on high till his enemies are being made his footstool. Now, the fact that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God doesn't mean that he's idle. You guys are with me? It doesn't mean that he's idle. We have seen in, in chapter 8 that Jesus is the minister of the tabernacle. And we looked at that word minister. And if you remember, it says it is the one who's performing the ministry of the tabernacle, right? Somebody who's active maintaining the tabernacle. And that's the description of Jesus. And we have seen even before that in chapter 7 that Jesus, because he lives forever, he makes what? intercessions for us. He's at the right hand of God sitting but not idle. He's still working for us so we can be saved. He's always interceding on our behalf at the right hand of God so we can um, be saved to the uttermost. Amen? So the fact that Jesus is sitting doesn't mean he's idle. He's still working but he is sitting. He doesn't need to stand because his sacrifice is perfect. Let's look at the third comparison between the sacrifices of the Old Testament and the sacrifice of Christ. This verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again uh, and offers the exact same sacrifices. What kind of sacrifices are these? Which can never take away sin. These sacrifices are many, and the priests stand because they can never take away sin. They are incapable of taking away sin. You guys are with me? But how about Jesus? Look at his sacrifice and what he has done for us on the cross. Verse 12 and 13, real quick. But when this priest has offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Verse 14, look at this. For by one sacrifice he has made what? Perfect. Forever. Not for a couple of days or a couple of years. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, this is an amazing verse. I would encourage you to memorize it. For what, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified or those who are being made holy. Now, let's look at this. By one sacrifice, he has made what? Perfect. Those who are being sanctified. The word perfect. If you have been following throughout the book of Hebrews, that is the dilemma of the Old Testament sacrifices. It cannot make you perfect in terms of approaching God. You guys remember that? From, from uh, chapter 7, a couple of times, the author of Hebrews tells us that the, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, that the priesthood and the whole system cannot make you perfect as a worshiper trying to approach God. He even told us point blank in chapter 7 that the law and its system makes nothing perfect, right? Right? Remember all of that from chapter 7? Because the sacrifices was insufficient, was ineffective to cleanse you and me from sins, thus providing a way for us to approach a holy and a righteous God. 
But how about Jesus and his sacrifice? Now, finally, we can be made perfect. Amen? Because of the perfection and the, 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 all, all what we need, God has provided in the sacrifice of Christ. And because of how magnificent this sacrifice is, we don't need anything else. We've been made perfect because of the sacrifice of Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, let's look at this. The, the verbs, the tenses that the author of Hebrews is using are phenomenal here in verse 14. For by one sacrifice he has made the perfect. Now, is that past or present or future tense? Past tense. Something happened in the past, right? He has already made perfect, right? <clears throat> and has made you perfect for how long? Forever, right? This is just amazing. Those who are being made holy or are being sanctified, is this a present or a past or a future tense? The second one. Present tense, right? So the past tense, he already has you, made you perfect, but the present tense, you are still being made perfect. Yes, correct. Holy, yes, it's the same. Uh, sanctified, holy, perfect. Right. So what is the point here? What is the author of Hebrews is telling us? Have you ever, like, uh, the, the idea here is something like this. <clears throat> you, when you go to do laundry and you put the clothes in the laundry and then you turn the laundry on, Right? You started the process. Now, as, as the person, you finished all what you need to do, right? The clothes is definitely going to get clean, but then it's the process that the clothes goes through in the laundromat in order for it to be clean, right? That's what the author of Hebrews kind of telling us here. Jesus finished all that needed to be done when he died on the cross and provided that perfect salvation for us. Because of what he has done, we have already been made perfect forever. Amen? Now it's kind of like a process of time for your conduct to be uh, perfected as you grow in your walk with Christ. You guys are with me? You're with me? So, G oh, sure. So, it's, the idea is this Jesus has perfected you in the sight of God. In front of God, Jesus has perfected you when he died on the cross for your sake, right? Now, the fact that he has already perfected you doesn't mean that you are perfect in the way you conduct yourself in this world. You still fall. You're still being made holy. But the idea is this. You, in the eyes of God, you have already been perfected. But there is a process you still need to go through anyways so that your conduct can be perfected in front of man. You guys are with me? So the first part, the past tense, maybe it deals more with God. You have already been made perfect in the eyes of God because of what Jesus has done. But the fact that you are righteous in the eyes of God does it not necessarily translate in you being righteous in front of man. It takes process. It takes time for you to get to that point. Amen? And that also can be done because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. It just takes time. You guys are with me? And I just love this. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect for how long? Forever. Now let me ask you a question. If Jesus has made you perfect forever, what are the chances that you're going to mess this up? Zero. Because you already have been made, been made perfect forever. You're with me? 
There is nothing that you can do to mess up the covering that Jesus has given you, that righteousness that Jesus has bestowed on you when you accepted him to be your savior. Amen? Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you're going to go out and sin because he's going to give you a new nature and you are being made perfect, but the fact that you still can fail sometimes in the process of being made holy doesn't take away from the fact that you have been perfected forever in the eyes of God. You're with me? Look at the comparison now. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament, it was impossible that it will take away sin. But how about Jesus? Jesus did not just Take away, took away your sin because of his sacrifices. He made you perfect forever because of what he has done for you on the cross. Amen? Do you see the difference in the magnitude between the sacrificial system of the Old Testament and the single sacrifice of Christ on the cross? Amen? Let's, uh, let's say that verse together, and I encourage you to memorize it. Verse 14. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So Jesus offered a perfect sacrifice, and because of that, he was able to sit down. Now, the second part of this passage, 15 to 18, it talks that Jesus, because he offered the perfect sacrifice, you and me were able to enter into a new covenant with God, a new relationship with God, a new terms in our relationship with God. Amen? Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testified to us about this, right? Does it say that? It doesn't say that. The Holy Spirit also testified to us about this. Testifies. testifies. Is that present tense or a past tense? Present. present tense. But isn't that a quote from the Old Testament? Yeah. It is a quote. <laughs> right. The author of Hebrews makes that present tense to make sure that you and me understand that the scripture is not something that is done already in the past. There is something applicable to you and me, the believers of the New Testament. Amen? This is not something God done within the Old Testament, the New Testament. This is the time for you and me to experience that New Testament. And that's why he used the word testifies in present. Amen? Now... The, the, the rest of that passage, 16 and 17, are quote from, anybody remember? Uh, verse 16 and 17 are quote from Jeremiah 33, right? Right. We've seen that the author of Hebrews quoted this before in chapter 8. But the point he quoted it for chapter 8, his point was this, first and second, that the first covenant now is obsolete, and we have a new covenant by which we can approach God. You remember that from chapter 8? Now, the point of him quoting the same exact passage again here in chapter 10 is not to tell us that one is obsolete replaced by the other. It's mainly to tell us that the time has arrived when this covenant can be applied to you and me. Amen? This is not in comparison to the Old Testament, but he's rather telling us that this is the time of the fulfillment of these prophecies of Jeremiah. This is the time when we can enter and experience that new covenant with God. Amen? And then the author of Hebrews highlight two. Remember we said there is three, actually, uh, benefits of that Old Covenant. From uh, We talked about this in, in, in Hebrews 8. But the author of Hebrews only here points two out of the three, right? The first one he points out is this, that the law of God will be written in our hearts. And the second benefit he's pointing out here, that God will remember our sins no more. Amen? 
We talked about this plenty in the past. So I'm just going to touch base. The first one is that now the law of God is written in our heart. Because you enter the new covenant with God, the law is not any longer an exterior force that is obligating you. It's more of an interior force that is motivating you. You're with me? The law is no longer an exterior force that is obligating you. It's an interior force that is motivating you. This is what happens under the new covenant. It is not anymore about the set of laws. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't manipulate. And you strive every single day, try to obey God. When you come to God through Jesus, what happens is that his Holy Spirit will come and dwells in your heart. And when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and changes you, now the law of God comes from within. And you're trying to do the right thing and please God because you have an inside force that it is motivating you to obey the word and the commandment of God. Amen? Amen. Now. The second benefit he's saying here is this. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Remember we talked last week what the author of Hebrews said that the offering of the goats and bulls every year, it serves as an annual reminder, right? Reminder of their sins. Every time there is a sacrifice, that the one who's offering this sacrifice remember their sins and how bad they have messed up against God. But the New Testament sacrifice has no more remembrance of sin. Amen? The Old Testament sacrifice serves as a reminder of your sins and your failings. But under the New Testament sacrifice, God remembers your sin no more. Amen? And then it says this, and, there, and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin no longer necessary. In other words, the author of Hebrews is saying this, and because you can obtain such forgiveness, which, what is he talking about, such forgiveness? What forgiveness is referring to? The one from Jeremiah, right? I will remember their sins no more. Because the author of Hebrews is saying, because we can obtain that kind of forgiveness under the New Testament rules, under the New Testament covenant, you don't need a sacrifice anymore because your sins have been forgiven once and for all. Amen? Because you can obtain such a forgiveness, you don't need a sacrifice anymore. And then it says, the sacrifice for, for sin no longer necessary. I'm just going to read what uh, William Lane said about this. It is just so powerful, I don't want to mess it up. He says this, look at, look at this. Sins no longer provide an obstacle to an enduring covenant relationship with God. Think about that. Sins no longer provides an obstacle to an enduring covenant relationship with God. The people of the new covenant enjoy unhindered access to God, which we're going to see next week. The only sacrifice that is required of them is the sacrifice of praise, which is the author of Hebrews is going to talk about later on in uh, chapter 13. Amen? The only sacrifice that we can offer God after the sacrifice of Christ is the sacrifice of praise. No more blood sacrifice. No more animals. No more sheep. No more blood need to be shed to be forgiven before God. The only sacrifice we can give God is the sacrifice of thanksgiving for the perfection of the sacrifice of Christ that he has done for us on the cross. Amen? Isn't that just awesome? Hebrew also talks the Right. Absolutely. Talking about the old sanctuary, it doesn't. Right. And he moves on and says, now you're given free access to it. Absolutely. And we're going to dig deeper into that next week as well. 
And where there have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin no longer necessary. Amen? Let me just close with this thought. <clears throat> Aren't there a lot of people in our world, world right now that's still trying to offer sacrifices to God for their sins, right? They're trying to do good works so they can be made right with God, right? They try to give money to the poor. They try to do so many things in order for their sins to be forgiven. And they offer all sorts of things to God so they can obtain forgiveness. But the scripture says you don't need to offer any more sacrifices to God. The sacrifice that Jesus has offered in the cross is all that you need for you to be forgiven, right? All what you have to do is just to receive and accept that perfect sacrifice that Jesus has done for you. You're only going to be forgiven when you come to realize that there is nothing you can bring to the table and there is nothing you can do in order for your sins to be forgiven before God. And all that you have to do is rest in the perfection and the completion of the sacrifice that Jesus has done for your sake on the cross. Amen? Amen. Let's close our eyes and pray.